Yes, I took Jeannie to the beach last week for her birthday. What do you want for your birthday? I want to go to the beach. So we go to the beach. Now, Jeannie loves the beach. She has to go to the beach about once a year. Me, it's one long sand trap. So we walked down on the beach and she's laying out and I lay down and I said, okay, now what? <laughs> no, this is what you do. Huh? We drove all this time to lay down. I could lay down back home. So uh, I'm real brave saying this because I'm here and she's way over there. So <laughs> she's 29 again. So when I was little, my world was defined by two markers. I couldn't go over the hill and I couldn't go past the end of the street. That was my world, top of the hill, end of the street. It was also the world that my mother could see from the front porch of our house. She could walk out, look this way, look that way, and find me or my friend somewhere between the top of the hill and the end of the street. There was nothing but pain on the other side of the hill or past the end of the street. She defined my world. Now, as I got a little bigger and, you know, got my driver's license, uh, my world got a little bigger, but it was still defined. You can go here but you cannot go there. You can drive here, but not there. You can get on this street, but you can't get on that street. And as I have grown older, I have found out that there's always somebody defining my world. You can go here, but you can't go there. You can do this, but you can't do that. Our world is now defined by lines, places you can't go, things you can't believe, things you cannot say. You can do this, but you cannot do that. There's always somebody or something defining your world. So here's the question of the day. Who is it, what is it that is defining your world? Who is it, what is it that is defining your world? It's been a question in the church from the very beginning. The earliest apostles had to deal with it. And we have that story in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. Stand with me in honor of God's word. And we'll read through verse 11. Are we going to do through 18? What do you, we go, we go, we're good. I did through verse 18 in the first service and they said, we don't have that. And now they got it. I thought I was helping them in here. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. 
Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and that they brought great joy to all the brothers and the sisters. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they all reported to God, what God had, about what God had done with them. But some of the believers belonged to the party of the Pharisees. And they stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. In other words, you have to become a Jew before you become a Christian. Now the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. And after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them, between us and them, cleansing their heart by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor us were able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved to the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Now the whole assembly became silent, listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James responded, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simon has reported how God has intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his own name. As the word of the prophets agree with this, for it is written, after these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent and rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of the humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they are. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. We live in a world that is divided into us and them. Work in us as you did the early church so that all of us become yours. And we pray this in your name, amen. We are continuing a series about our mission vision and the values of our church. Our mission statement, vision statement is engaging the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere with anybody. The value statements are gospel first and always. We believe that each of you and each congregation is uniquely called. Uh, we believe that we are intentionally innovative that is, we're going to be adapting to the new opportunities that we have in very intentional and purposeful ways. Today, we're going to be talking about crossing cultures. 
in order to engage in gospel conversation with people who, for whatever reason, may or may not be like us. The last one we'll talk about next week is multiplication matters. Now, last week, uh, Daryl Guardier, our Minister of Communications, talked to you about uh, the intentional, intentionally innovative part. And it is an interesting time to be a Baptist pastor. If you had told me when I graduated seminary in 1981 that my value as a communicator would be judged by how well I could preach the gospel in 140 characters or less, I would not have understood what you were talking about. If you had told me that I would pastor a church and we would have a whole department of nerds, now, I don't say that despairingly at all. I love them. Okay, I do. The design work they do, the creative work they do, the communication is amazing, amazing stuff. But I want to tell you, you stop back into their part of the office, it's, an, it's another world. But I'm learning because I love them and I want to make sure that they have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ just like I did. So I'm learning how to do all of that stuff, text and this kind of stuff, so much so, so much so that I have officially been diagnosed with Twitter thumb. <laughs> oh, one day you'll be old and I'm gonna laugh at you. Okay, my thumb jammed up because I was texting so much and using my thumbs and typing. There is an official diagnosis now called Twitter thumb. And I have it. <laughs> Crossing cultures. I've told you before that there's nothing that messes up a church any faster than when Jesus starts saving the wrong people. Right? All of us have a list. These people are good people and Jesus can save them. That's fine. These people are going to burn in hell. All right, and when Jesus starts saving people who are on our burning hell list, it messes us up. Okay, now this, this goes on all the time uh, where Jesus will start saving the wrong people. And now in Acts 15, the church is concerned because Jesus is saving the wrong people. He's saving Gentiles. Now, if the church had been paying attention, they should not have been surprised by this. One, throughout the Old Testament, there are prophecies, there are promises that one day the mountain of the Lord, Mount Zion, would be restored, the city of God would be renewed, and when that happened, people from all over the world, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every ethnic background, would come to that holy hill and worship. That promise echoes all throughout Scripture. If you're paying attention to the story, you realize that Jesus has been about this early, early on. In fact, some of the earliest stories involve the salvation of Gentiles. In the, in the book of Joshua, we're introduced to a woman named Rahab. Now, now Rahab was way out on that list of people that Jesus can't save. Okay, not only was she a Gentile, not only was she a citizen of Jericho, she was a prostitute. Way out there on that list. She sees the spies and she recognizes what they're up to. And she pulls them aside and says, I know who you are. I know what's going on. 
I know how God has given you the other cities. I know what he's going to do to Jericho. And I'll make a deal with you. I won't rat you out if you will save me and my family when Jericho is destroyed. The men confirmed that deal. You don't rat us out, we'll protect you when, when we attack Jericho. And they did. Rahab became part of God's story. In one of the very next books, we're introduced to Ruth. Now, a lot of you don't know Ruth's story, but you know about Ruth because you've been to a wedding and you've heard somebody say, entreat me not to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You ever heard that? That's from the book of Ruth. That's what Ruth said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, when, her, when things were falling apart, Ruth said, I want to stick with you. And because she did, she becomes part of Jesus' story. Now, here's where it gets interesting. When Matthew writes the genealogy of Jesus and gives us the testimony about how God has worked throughout history, through across the generations, to bring Jesus to be born in Bethlehem at just the right time, he includes the story of Rahab and Ruth. Now, it was unusual enough to put women in the genealogy. That didn't happen. Most of the time, it was just a list of men. But Matthew puts both Rahab and Ruth in the story. Women, Gentiles, part of God's saving story from the very beginning. Now, let me... Let me step aside over here and give you a clue, a hint. Here's what you're going to find out. You're going to have people come up to you all the time and say, God is up to a new thing. Now, what you find out is either one or two things. Either it's new to us. Okay, God's up to a new thing, meaning it is new to us. But God has started this new thing a long time ago. Okay. God is doing a new thing. He's reaching Gentiles. But he started reaching Gentiles a long time ago. It's new to us. Now, when somebody says God is doing a new thing and you can't find any historical precedent for it, be careful. Be really careful. Our God is consistent across time, across the generations. He's doing a new thing, yes, that he started a long time time ago. Now, we're having this meeting in chapter 15 because of what happened in chapter 10. Now, here's another interesting part of this story. In chapter 9, Paul is called to the ministry, the Damascus Road experience, right? Paul is now blind. He's waiting on to try to figure out what's next. Jesus goes to Ananias and says, go lay hands on Paul and tell him that I have set him apart to be my vessel to the Gentiles. Paul understood from the beginning that his message, his, his mission was to reach the Gentiles. Peter was to stay and reach the Jews. That was the deal we ended up with. But the first significant experience of Gentiles coming to Christ happens with Peter, not Paul. Happens in chapter 10. You remember the story of Cornelius. Cornelius, pagan, is, is, is uh, what we call a God-fearer. Somebody who knew there was a God but didn't know the story of God was praying. Please send somebody to explain this to me. God says, go to the tanner's house. Simon Peter's there. Tell him to come. 
In the meantime, Simon Peter's having his own crisis. He is praying in the middle of that prayer, a sheet of food is laid down in front of him, not all of it kosher. The spirit says, get up and eat. Peter says, wait a minute, this is not kosher. I've always kept kosher. Jesus says, hold on, young man. Don't you dare call unclean anything that I have made. And so Peter is thinking about what that means when he goes downstairs and he meets Cornelius' messengers. So he goes and he meets Cornelius. Cornelius says, we're all here and we want you to explain how to be saved. And he starts preaching. And right in the middle of the sermon, everybody starts getting saved to the point that they have to tell Peter to stop preaching. People are already getting saved. I have never been there. (laughs) Where somebody's walked up going, shh, hush, hush. They're already getting saved. Be quiet. Never been there, but that's what happened. To the point that Peter looks at his friends and says, well, looks like we're going to have to baptize them now since Jesus has already given them the Holy Spirit just like us. And they have a baptism service. Everybody in that house got baptized. Now the word gets out and it gets back. God's doing a new thing. And when Jesus starts saving the wrong people, the church has to have a meeting. And in Acts 15, we're having a meeting. And there are those who say, hold it. It's not that easy. You have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Jesus was promised to the Jews. You have to become part of the Jewish nation before you can be a follower of Christ. And here are the things that we expect you to do before the work of Christ can happen. And Paul stood up and said, baloney. When you start putting any kind of work onto the work of Jesus, what you say is the death of Jesus Christ wasn't enough. That's right. And there is no prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't have to become a Baptist. You don't have to become a member of any church. Jesus does it without help from you or me or anybody. He saved us by grace. He's saving them by grace. It's always the same story. Now I've told you before, there's only a handful of novel plots. You know that? There's man against man, man against world, uh, man against himself. Every novel you read is one of those handful of stories. The story of salvation is always the same. Lost, found, starting over. That's it. Now the details of this may change and may be different person to person. It may be you were lost in addiction. Doesn't matter where you lost. If you lost, you lost. You can be lost anywhere. All right. I've been in Tennessee long enough to be lost in most places of Tennessee. I've been lost downtown. Have you ever noticed that when you get lost, your friends have no mercy? Right? Where are you? I'm lost. Where are you? I'm downtown. Where are you near? I'm on Third Avenue. Well, idiot, you're two blocks. Turn right. 
be in the rural area of Tennessee. I can't find you. Where, where are you? Well, I'm out in front of this general store. Well, in it, you're right next to old man Williams' farm. How do you know that? Go down the road, turn right, and you'll find us. You can be lost no matter where you are. See, this lostness may be addiction. It may be drugs. It may be alcohol. And you may have reached rock bottom. You may have lost your family and all that. This is where I was lost. Your story may be I was an uptight Baptist, and I think I had to work for my salvation. And I thought it was all about how many memory verses I could remember and how many times I could go to church and how many times I could check the box. And I wrecked my life trying to keep up expectations and realized I couldn't do it. And Jesus set me free. Lost. Details may, may differ. Stories the same. Lost. And I was found. Saved by grace, a grace that pursues us. Jesus finds us and tells you, you don't have to live this way. You can live with me my way, let's start over. That's everybody's story. Details vary. The story is the same. And it all happens because the greatest crossing of culture ever happened when Jesus became flesh, became one of us, so he could show us what the love of God looks like in flesh and blood. And since then, Jesus has been in pursuit of those who are lost. And if you're going to follow Jesus, Guess what? You're going to go right back to the place where people are lost. Lost, found, starting over. Where do you start over where people are lost? And you're going to find friends that you love so much that you'll do anything to help them understand the gospel. There's always a human connection. Jesus appears to Paul, and then he sends Ananias. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading scripture, then the spirit sends Philip. There's always a human connection, and someone will be having a crisis with God, they'll be wrestling with God and won't be able to figure it out, they'll be praying, send somebody to help me understand, and then you will come to walk alongside them and help them understand this is who God is and this is how he's working. Because if you follow Jesus, you're always going to be doing that. And if that means I have to learn how to type the gospel in 140 characters or less, I'll do that. If it means I have to drink gallons of coffee, I'll do that. I want to find a way to sit and listen to their story, hear about their journey, and when the door is open, I'll tell them about when I found Jesus, when Jesus found me and what happened. And how that same grace is now searching for them. Our world 
divides us. You're one of them if you're not one of us. You remember the old poem, what was it? He drew a circle and left me out. Herod picked rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had wit to win. We drew a circle and brought him in. When Jesus drew the circle, he drew it around you. He drew it around me. And he brought us in. And since his resurrection, he's been in the world picking up those lines and bending them into circles. And telling you and me to do the same thing. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, dealing with whatever the Lord has asked you now. Perhaps this is a moment where you have thought and are thinking about one of your friends who doesn't know Christ, one of your neighbors who doesn't know Christ, and this is the morning you're going to start praying for him. Perhaps this is the first time you thought about being on mission, and maybe you are now being led to join with this group of people at Brentwood Baptist. We'll be waiting for you in the Welcome Center. Right after this service, I'm going to walk over to the Welcome Center. And I certainly want a chance to talk with you about who you are and where you're going and who we are as a church and how we can get connected. We want to help you get that process started. Don't leave. Don't leave without, without doing that today. We'll be waiting for you at the Welcome Center. Perhaps this is the first time you have thought about Jesus drawing a circle that brought you in. And I know that's a heavy thing. It's a lot. And you've got lots of questions about what this means and does it really mean what you think it means. I'm waiting over in the Welcome Center, as are my friends and other ministers, counselors. would love to have the chance to talk with you. I beg you, do not leave this place with those questions still unanswered. We're waiting for you in the Welcome Center. Jesus is waiting for you where you are. We'll wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you. Every